0: families to be self-sufficient and financially stable, and vulnerable households to get their basic and emergency needs met. The United Ways of Chautauqua County, proud supporters of community radio in Jamestown, New York. To learn more, visit UASCC.org or call 716 483 one five six one. You are listening to Community Matters. Congressman Joe Sempolinski discusses energy policy and politics in his weekly media call. Thanks everybody for taking the time to uh, be on the call. And uh, I am once again uh, down in this Week we'll be here this week, next week, and at least those two, maybe more, considering how things go. But uh, I wanted to highlight. Um, Some activity from earlier in the week, Uh, on Monday, uh, I spoke on the floor of the House, and one of the advantages of being a member of Congress is that you can speak on the floor of the House about topics that that are of concern to your constituents, bring them up and make sure that the American people um, see them highlighted. And uh, so on Monday, I did speak on the floor of the House uh, to be a voice for the people of the 23rd District who are suffering from President Biden's disastrous energy policy. Uh, the president's agenda, the radical agenda, has created an crisis that hurts every American. And I felt felt on the record to let those um, in Washington know that the people of our area uh, have had enough. And as I said in my speech in the last 12 months over, of American households have sacrificed basic necessities so they could pay an energy bill. This is only going to get worse. Uh, The Energy Information Administration projects that families will spend a 25-year high for their energy this winter. As we all deal with the burden of higher energy prices and out-of-control inflation, the so-called Inflation Reduction Act added more restrictions on federal oil and gas leasing. I had to speak out because, as we own know too well, our area... It's very cold in the winter. So in the 23rd District in western New York, in the Finger Lakes, in the southern tier, high energy prices in the winter is literally a life or death issue for people with limited means. And I called on the President to act. Uh, he can end this crisis, uh, or at least mitigate it significantly, by opening our domestic oil and gas leases and stopping burdensome Regulations. That are assaults on U.S. energy development. So I ask that the president and the administration, as the temperature continues to drop, as we go into the more cold part of winter, I ask the the administration stop catering to the far left demands and do what's right for the American people, especially those in the colder parts of the country and those who don't have the resources, monetary resources, to uh, pay for higher prices, Uh, the safety and security of our people and of our country depends on it. So that's what I was talking about on the floor of the house on Monday. And uh, with that, I will open it up to questions on this particular topic or any other topic. Okay, Joe, we'll start with Rachel Knapp. Hey, how are you? Rachel, how are you doing? Oh, uh, another day, you know. Well, thank you for taking the time to speak with us. Um, really kind of the question that I have... Um, uh, recently, the Democrats secured uh, basically an extra seat in the Senate. Wanted to get your kind of comments on how do you think that's going to impact, uh, even though the Republicans are going to, you know, have control of the House, how do you think that's going to impact the Republican agenda for next session? Well, I was disappointed in the results in the Georgia runoff. Uh, I certainly was hoping uh, Mr. Walker uh, would have won that. Um And so we'll have a 51-49 Senate going forward. Now, as far as legislation is concerned, as far as control of the Senate is concerned, because the vice president serves as a tiebreaker, uh, it doesn't change who is in charge of the Senate for the next two years. It gives a one-vote cushion uh, to the Democratic majority. They can now have one uh, dissenting voice uh, and then still pass legislation. So it probably diminishes to some degree, uh, the influence of, say, you know, a senator mansion or something like that. Uh, so that is, you know, that's disappointing uh, from a Republican perspective. Uh, I, I want good Republican conservative policy to be passed into law and it becomes one vote more difficult. But again, it doesn't change control of the Senate. Now, what also it doesn't change and what is significant about our control of the House is it doesn't change the ability of the new House majority to investigate, uh, the Biden administration doesn't uh, change the ability of the new House majority to engage in oversight and fulfill our constitutional responsibility to make sure American taxpayer dollars are spent well and appropriately, and without waste, fraud, abuse, or uh, um, sort of legislation coming from the bureaucracy, as opposed to coming from the House representatives and the Senate. Uh, that goes with whoever is in the majority. And so we will have certain aspects of ability uh, to uh, influence things and uh, are not diminished uh, by the Senate uh, remaining uh, in Democratic hands or having a, a slightly increased Democratic majority. We'll still have all of that oversight and investigation apparatus uh, in our control, so it's it's disappointing. I was hoping Herschel Walker would have been the next senator of Georgia, uh, but as far as the overall story that's going to play out, the history of the next two years, uh, it is it is not a fundamental change to how that is going to play out um, because uh, the House taking the Republicans taking the House majority is the big sea change in how Washington will operate for the next two years. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Yep, thank you. Okay, next we'll go to uh, Gregory Bacon. Uh, Hello, Congressman. Uh, You talked about energy earlier today. In uh, Chautauqua County, we've had probably about 20 different uh, solar projects proposed over the last two and a half, three years. Uh, Mm -hmm. I want to get your thoughts about solar energy and how we think it, uh, does it help? uh, Will it help make a difference? So my position on solar projects in particular is I am very much in favor of local control because sometimes it can be, in an area where the local folks don't want it. Sometimes it can be an area where the local folks want it. So I've always felt uh, for any type of energy project that the people on the ground, you know, the local municipalities uh, should be able to decide whether a particular project is appropriate for that geography, that topography, the economy of that town, and, and make sure local folks have a say and that somebody isn't coming from on high from the federal or the state government, and saying, all right, we're going to force a particular project on a particular community. So if a particular community, for whatever reason, is in favor of it, uh, that is their choice, just as if their community was against it. That should be uh, their choice. My position on energy has always been uh, all of the above. And uh, the first and foremost thing we need to do is make sure that the United States of America is not dependent on foreign uh, sources of energy. Uh, that is a national security risk of the highest order. And so that means, as I said in my opening statement, I'm in favor of uh, accessing in you know, safe and responsible ways our uh, resources here in the United States of America, because every drop of oil and every a cubic yard of natural gas that we can get from north america is one we don't need to get from other places uh, in the world and then uh, uh making sure our technology is growing and uh, advancing and developing and the only thing we have to be a little bit careful of is sometimes there is a push for the government to pick winners and losers on technology and uh uh, heavily subsidize one technology and not subsidize another technology uh, because of, uh, for political reasons or, or what have you. And that's why I say all of the above. I mean all of the above. We let uh, the technology go in the direction it may go, and, and the creative minds of the smartest people in the world, in America and elsewhere, are going to come up with things that perhaps a bureaucrat uh, didn't anticipate them coming up with. And making sure that uh, if... if if new technology is developed, that it's a uh, we can have it flourish, and uh, it, it just because it doesn't happen to be the favorite technology of some particular senator or some particular president, uh, that it's not uh, pushed aside. So I, I want the market to work. I want there to be local control, and I want the United States of America to be energy independent. All right. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Next we'll go to Julia WRFA. Good morning, Congressman. Good morning. So uh, my question is, I saw that the uh, the Senate has passed uh, uh, the agreement with the uh, rail to avoid a rail strike, and it's now gone to President Biden to be signed. Uh, what are you, you talked about it last week in the call, you know, concerns about that contract um, and uh, averting a strike, and I was just wondering for your thoughts on the final contract signed off by uh, the uh, Senate and House. Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy that it looks like we're going to avert a rail strike. Um, we were talking about billions of dollars per day in economic loss. There was a lot of discussion about what was fair or not fair to the rail workers, and of course, I want everybody to be treated fairly. But where my concern was coming from is one, as I just stated, the national economy, but two, and more importantly, is the people of the twenty-third congressional district. How The ability of them to afford and have access to goods that they need how would that be compromised by a strike how would other workers in many cases other union workers be impacted by their supply chains being horrifically disrupted would they have their livelihoods uh, put in jeopardy Uh, the rail system is a linchpin of the national economy. And I have a duty to protect, as best I can, the people of my district. And in this case, we I I voted to put in place a backstop to those negotiations to to, uh, attempt to avert the strike. It did not impose the contract. It just said if you can't come up with a deal between the railroads and the union, that this would be the backstop. And I did that to protect uh, the people and the workers of the 23rd uh, Congressional District and the national uh, economy. And certainly, Congress's mandate is to regulate interstate commerce. The railroad network, I think, is very much falls within the realm of interstate commerce. So I felt uh, it was an area where Congress had the ability and, and duty to intervene. So I am pleased that it looks like we're not going kind to of have a strike. However, I am still very frustrated with President Biden. He said this was all taken care of before the election, and we went into the midterm election. Oh, this is all taken care of, this is all taken care of. Then as soon as we get through the elections, he throws his hands up, runs to Congress, and says, you got to fix it. That's not good leadership. That's not transparency. Uh, so the fact that we were... In this situation that could have led to serious economic issues that would have affected almost everyone in America uh, really is a testament to how poor the leadership that we're getting from the uh, Biden administration is. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. You have been muted. Unmute yourself. Press the star key twice. Uh, Good morning, Joe. Good morning. I wanted to get your thoughts, uh, your Fellow Congressman Lee Zeldin today made it known he has taken himself out of the running for the RNC chairmanship position. Wanted to get your thoughts on that decision. Yeah, I was, uh, I was disappointed. Uh, I think the world of Mr. Zeldin. I have spent a very large amount of time with him over the last two years. Uh, In both my role as uh, party chairman, I am still the Steuben County Republican chairman, and in my role as congressional candidate and now congressman. This is somebody that I've spent time with on the floor of the House. This is somebody who I was just actually literally talking with about whether he was going to run for RNC chair as we were walking off the floor of the House last week. And uh, I think the world of uh, Mr. Zeldin, I think he would have been an excellent RNC chairman. Obviously, we could have done better in the midterms. We uh, uh, could have done better in other elections that have occurred. And so, I think having somebody put their name forward, say, "Hey, maybe we should go a different direction. Maybe we should have a different choice. Maybe we should present options to the RNC uh, committee members" would have been wonderful. Um, And I think this is certainly not the last we have heard uh, from Lee Zeldin. Uh, He remains a member of the House uh, until storm expires he has the same expiration date I do uh, on January 3rd and then I think uh, whatever he does next and apparently this isn't where it's going to go but what, the RNC but uh, whatever he does next he will do a wonderful job and uh, I look forward to seeing what the service he can do for the state and nation is uh, going forward and, and with somebody of that level of ability Uh, and that level of dedication to his country. I'm sure there will be other opportunities uh, that will present themselves, and I'm proud to uh, call Lee a colleague and to call him a friend. Now, as a follow-up question, uh, do you feel that there should be a change in leadership with the RNC? I think it's something we need to look at very strongly. I mean, uh, the RNC's role is to uh, set the table. Uh, to win elections and i think there is we could have done better over the last uh couple cycles and uh historically we have not had long tenured rnc chairs and that's something that's been sort of a change over the last couple chair people and so the idea of somebody being in place for you know three four terms is not something that was that was normal until fairly recently so uh having fresh ideas, fresh perspective. The world changes quickly. Uh, the world turns quickly in a couple of years, two, three years, is an eternity in politics. So I think uh, it would have been good, and I, I don't know if there's going to be other people that officially put their name forward. And I Only 168 people get a vote on that. The, uh, <laughs> the RNC uh, members, uh, which consist of one committee man, one committee woman, <coughs> from every state and territory. And then the, uh, the chairperson you know, of each state and territory's party. So those are the only people that get a vote. But I think it, it, would, it would have been good to have Lee as an option uh, for those people. Uh, but whoever ends up being the RNC chair for the next two years, uh, we have to do everything we can to keep the party as unified as possible, to make good use of our new House majority, and to be ready going into the 2024 presidential election. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, Joe. That does it for today. All righty. Thank you, Frank, and thank you, everybody. And I hope you have a great rest of the week, and we'll, uh, I'll be back down here next week, and we'll do the same thing. So it's always good talking to everybody.